Welcome to episode 81 of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. Today's episode is all about bees, honeybees, and how to keep them. Whether you live in the city or the country, beekeeping is an activity that many grandparents and grandchildren enjoy. Our guest today is Covey McConnell, a beekeeper who will share information about why beekeeping is important, how to get started, and how to stay safe. I have known Covey for many years. She went to school with my older son and his wife, and Covey and I taught at the same high school several years ago. She teaches science, chemistry, and genetics, and says beekeeping always has fascinated her. Please help me welcome Kobe to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I have been fascinated by beekeeping for a long time. I've always been afraid of it because I'm actually allergic to bee venom, but I love the the fruits of beehive keepers labor and the bees labor. So I thought it would be an interesting conversation and it might even inspire a grandparent to become a beekeeper as a good hobby to do with the grandchild. There are a lot of grandparents that are beekeepers that do it with their grandchildren and children in my club. How did you get started beekeeping? What was the inspiration for you? I've always been interested in gardening and I know bees are really important. So that was part of the reason I started being a beekeeper. My mom had been a beekeeper before I remember And she always talked about it. She was always interested in it. And that's what made me decide to try starting it. In my area, we have a really good beekeeping club that is very helpful and is very helpful to get people started. We have classes, meetings, all sorts of things, mentors that that help people. How long have you actually been doing this? This is my sixth year beekeeping. I started in 2017. So that was my first summer. This is my sixth summer of beekeeping, which is when you do the majority of the work is in the summer. When it's the hottest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, it is quite hot out there right now. Um, There's some ways that we work on that. I have um, actually have a neck fan, which helps. And you just have to learn. You have to learn to take breaks when you need to, because it it gets really hot in a suit. I saw Um, in your Facebook post, a couple of weeks ago where you had this little neck fan that you wore when you were in the suit. I just got that this year and it has helped immensely because it actually blows air on my face inside the suit. Um, Some beekeepers use, they also have cold vests where it's like a, it's a vest that has little ice cubes in it all over the place. And they have really enjoyed that. Also, you know, the time of day that you get in is important. Don't get in when it's 93 degrees out in the afternoon. Go in earlier when it's it's a little cooler or later. And it's really only really, really hot in July and August around here. So the other months aren't so bad. But, but July and August, you don't want to get in that often. And unfortunately, they're not really busy months for beekeeping. So it's okay. June and, well, really... April, May, and June are the busiest months for beekeeping. And why is that? Well, when they come out of the winter, they are, they grow a lot and they, you have a couple of things going on. You want to prep them for your honey production and you want to keep them from swarming. Swarming means that they fly away. They go into the woods and they are no longer your bees. 
that can actually ruin a hive. If they swarm too much, you won't have any, any resources left. Uh, so that's a big thing. You prevent swarming and lots of, there's, a, there's many, many things you do, little things along the way to prevent swarming. The other is you want to have your, your stuff ready for honey production. You want to have them ready to just make as much honey as they can because the honey flow, the time we have nectar, is a pretty short period of time. So you want to have it all set up and ready to go and then let them make their honey. And then you have to collect the honey and extract it and bottle it. And so there's just a lot of work. Um, that part can be done inside. The extraction and bottling can be done inside though. So it's not, it's not all out in the heat. There's a lot of stuff you do in your basement <laughs> or shed. Let's say there's a grandparent out there who wants to get started. What is the first step? First off, it is a lot of work and initial outlay of money in different ways. Let me, let me get, I'll get into that in a bit. The first thing would be to look for a beekeeping club in your area, a local beekeeping club. There are many, many throughout Virginia. They have people who are willing to help and they have usually monthly meetings and the people there are, I, I couldn't be a beekeeper if I didn't have my local club. They, and I'm, I'm obviously a member of the local club now, um, but I couldn't, I would not be able to have been a beekeeper without them. They have, they answer questions when you have questions. I had a mentor, which, you know, they allowed me to go into their hives, showed me how to go into hives. When I had issues, my mentor came over and helped me with my hives. And I'm a mentor now to other beekeepers. So local club is number one. My local club and most local clubs also have basic beekeeping classes around February. We do ours at the beginning of February, and it's an eight-week course, and it's very, very, it's, it's about three hours, two and a half, three hours, once a week for eight weeks, and we go over everything, and from, you, you learn from experienced beekeepers. The biggest problem when you're starting is there's so much information. You look on YouTube, and 10 different people tell you to do it 10 different ways, and it's really nice to have a good class, which gives you a good start. And, and you can always try things differently in the future. We're always trying new things, but it's nice to have a do this at first and, you know, feed them till here, you know, look at once this has happened, put another box on all the little things. It's really nice to have someone tell you how that, how to do that and how all that works. So I, I wouldn't, I would not try to be a beekeeper without taking some sort of basic beekeeping class. The, the one my club offers, it's basically free. I mean, we do charge 75 bucks, but that's just for the books. And that's really just for the books that we give them and the electronic resources. The, the actual class, it's, we, we really do it as a pro bono thing to try to spread information on how to be a good beekeeper. State of Virginia offers a, basically a lottery to get three hives. Um, and that's in spring. You apply for that. I haven't ever gotten that, but that would be a great start for someone who wanted to go into beekeeping to fill out the form for that lottery and hopefully get three free hives because the hives are really expensive, especially right now with the economy and the prices of wood. Um, it's kind of a, a, an expensive undertaking to start. And once you're in it, it's not as bad because you're not having to buy all that stuff that you have. You know, you have to initially, you need to buy the hives, you need to buy a suit, you need to buy a smoker. So the bees, you need to get the bees. So there's a lot of initial outlay. So if you can get the free hives from the state, that's a good plus. And, and a lot of people do get that. 
Um, so that would be the number one. And then just be prepared to, to the, you know, it'll probably be about $800 for a couple hives. Maybe, maybe more, but usually about $800 for a couple hives if you have to pick, buy everything on your own. Bees, suit, there's a lot of equipment that you need initially. Getting the equipment can wait like, until you were taking a class um, because at the beginning of a class and like when we start our class in February, the first thing we talk about is this is what you're going to need minimum. And, you know, here's a couple of suppliers of that stuff. And, you know, so people have an idea of what it's going to cost upfront. Um, and you don't really need, you have time. If you didn't start until February, you have time to get everything made and painted and bought before you actually would get these, which is eh, May ish about beginning, beginning to mid May is typically when we'll get bees to our new beekeepers. The first step is to look for a, a local group and take the class. The second step would be to get all of your equipment and the bees. Another thing that we provide with the class is a mentor and, and other, other, that's also someone you would find in a club if you weren't taking our class specifically. Uh, people will be mentors from your club. And that's really important because they're a person that you can text or go to their bee yard and actually get into their bees a little bit so you know what it's like. Um, it's, it's really an important resource to have a mentor, um, ideally someone close enough where they can come look if you're, if you're saying, well, I don't know what's going on here. It's really nice to have someone be able to come look and say, oh, this is what's going on. You know, you should do this. Um, some, someone local, ideally, but there's a ton of information out there. We also have something I'm a member of, um, which is a beekeeper, beekeeper forum on Facebook, which has a ton of Virginia beekeepers that are, will provide advice. There's, you can also search their, their um, information. You can search their whole forum so you can find information like, I want to know, you know, how do you make mead? And you can search, how do you make mead? And there's information that people have already posted on there. So that's, a, that's actually a really good resource. Um, there are several internet resources that are very good, um, but I'm not going to get into all those right now because there's just, like I said, there's so much information about beekeeping. It can just be kind of too much if you just start searching randomly on the internet. Um, it's really best to start with your club, your local club, because they'll, they'll help you out with that. Now, is this national and international as well? I mean, are there clubs all around the world? Yeah, there are. There are beekeepers all around the world. Um, our, I mean, I don't ever go to that level because when you look nationally, beekeeping is different in every state. It's very different in Georgia than it is in Virginia. Um, as you go south, as you go to Michigan, it's going to be a completely different, different way that you have to do things because the weather is so different. So I keep saying local because local, the people who are in your local area have bees in your area. They know when your flowers are flowering, how much mitigation you have to do for mites and when. Mites are the thing that are destroy a lot of colonies. So that's a, a big concern for all beekeepers. That's something we're always worried about is how to take care of the mites. And that's something you would learn from your beekeeping club and your beekeeping class. It's very different. Like even in Virginia, if you're in the mountains, it's different than if you're in Virginia Beach. So it's it's really nice to be uh, to know from local people, to learn from local people. If I were living in Colorado, how would I go about finding just do an internet search for beekeeping clubs? Absolutely, that would be the easiest thing to do. 
just look for, type in your area and look for beekeeper club, local beekeeping. And there are local beekeepers everywhere. There's, a, there's as you, to your question a minute ago, are there bee clubs everywhere? There's also in Virginia, you have your local clubs and then there's state as well. I've never been able to make it to the state meetings, but we have local club members who go to the state meetings and then bring that information back and talk about it at our meetings. I still get that information, even though I've not ever actually made it to one of the state meetings. Why is beekeeping important? Bees pollinate everything, Um, not just honeybees. There are a lot of other pollinators that are really important for pollinating our crops. Um, our, all of our crops, squash, pretty much all of our crops, not corn, but pretty much all the other squash, tomatoes, all of our fruit trees, everything needs some sort of pollinator to spread the pollen and for the fruit to grow or the squash to grow or whatever. Bees do a, a good job of that. A lot of farmers will hire commercial beekeepers to bring beehives to their farms just so their crops are well pollinated so that they get a good yield. Um, and that's really the main thing that's the, like environmentally, they're very important. And keeping the type of bee, there are some honeybees down in, that are Africanized honeybees down south that have been moving up from South America. Um, and it's really important for beekeepers to you know, keep those out. They're not into Virginia. They're farther south still in the U.S., but that's another thing you have to be prepared for. Like if you in, or live in one of the areas that have those kinds of bees, that's another issue there's a different way to handle them than uh, than the normal bees that we have. I actually saw an article this morning about the advantages of planting flowers all along roadsides so that the state or the county doesn't have to mow the grass, but that the flowers also attract bees, which help with pollinating around the area. So I thought that was a pretty interesting win-win situation. Roadways and if they planted more um, along like electrical ways where they have the electrical electric lines, cable lines, all that sort of stuff, um, that's definitely a, a plus because it'll, it provides food for all the pollinators. Honeybees, the, the type we keep are honeybees. There are a lot of other pollinators out there that you know you can help by, like if you didn't actually want to be a beekeeper, you can have and deal with all the work that's involved in honeybee keeping. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do to make good environment, good good situations, environments for your bees in your yard, for all the different kinds of bees. Our scenario is we have found our local beekeeping club. We've taken the classes. We've joined. We've bought our beehives. We have all of our equipment. We have our bees. What happens next? There's a lot of maintenance involved with bees. Um, there's, and it's different from year to year. Your first year of beekeeping is different than your second year of beekeeping. But once you're into your second year, the other years are similar. So every, every spring, um, the first thing is get them through the winter. They have to live the winter. The winter is the hardest time for them. A lot of times people will lose their colonies or lose some of their colonies or half of their colonies. Um, I typically don't, but if you look statistically, a good percentage of people lose some of their colonies over the winter. Once they've made it through the winter, you want to feed them and get them producing and growing. And there's just so many little micromanagement things that you do to, to make them successful, as successful as possible. Now, there are some beekeepers that don't do all that. They just put their bees out there, feed them a little bit here and there, 
uh, maybe treat them for mites because you need to treat them for mites if they're going to live through the winter and, and don't do much else. Maybe collect a little bit of honey, depending on what they get. Um, there's some, some beekeepers are a lot more hands-off. Um, I'm, I'm not, I like, I like to get in there and make sure everything's good. Um, I'm probably in my hives this time of year, only about once a month or once or once or twice a month. I'm not in there very often. Earlier in the year, you have to inspect about once a week to make sure that they're not uh, swarming. So you look for certain signs that are telling you that they're going to fly away. You try to prevent that. So what that means is you get into the hive, you open it up, you pull out frames of bees, you look at them, you look for eggs and brood and different, um, different kinds of cells that they have, that they have, they grow the different kinds of bees in and, and you look, and then you put it back together. Um, so that's, that's a big thing that's called an inspection. And we do that throughout the year. Um, a lot more of them happen in the spring. And like I said, this time of year, I'm only doing it about once a month, once or twice a month. And, and I just check and make sure they have enough food. Um, I've taken honey from them already at this time of the year in July. So I've taken their honey and I just want to make sure that they, they have enough food still that I didn't take too much. Uh, I'll feed them some sugar water if they need it because I took their honey. So sometimes they need to replenish that. So I'll feed them a little bit here and there as needed. Um, later on in the fall, uh, I will feed them a lot more going into winter. I want to make sure they have a whole lot of honey going through the winter so they have enough food. Another really big thing is mites. And it's almost too big of a subject to talk about in this conversation. Uh, mites are varroa mites. The Asian varroa mite is the, it, it uh, was introduced into the U.S. in about 1990. Um, and that, that is the, the bug that causes colony collapse syndrome. And it's very important that you mitigate mites. There's a couple times of year you have to do some sort of treatment and there are all sorts of treatments for mites available. Um, and, and it's very, again, that's where your local club and the class come in. They teach you what are the different things you can do and when do you do those things. There, many of them are temperature dependent um, and you don't want to kill your bees when you're treating the mites. So it, it's, a, it's a very large topic. Um, in Australia, they just actually found mites in, for the first time, they hadn't had any mites in their country and they are just destroying all the hives within miles and miles of where they found these mites and this, those beekeepers can't have their bees anymore because if those mites get out in Australia, the same thing will happen in their country and colonies will collapse and they haven't had to deal with that. And it will cause just devastation for a long time until their beekeepers get used to dealing with the mites. Um, it's, it's really a big deal. The, the mites, the varroa mites are our biggest enemy as a beekeeper. We've had them now for 30 years. So beekeepers have been breeding bees that are more resistant to mites. And we have many different kinds of treatments that are effective for mites. Um, but it is something that you, if you are a beekeeper and you do not treat for mites in any way, your bees will not survive the winter. So, I mean, unless you might have a chance survival now and again, but for the most part, you will, your bees will die. And, you know, that's not, you're not a very good beekeeper if your bees die. It's something that we have to deal with. And we, we know a lot of ways to do it. 30 years of, of dealing with these. 
Um, we've, we've done a lot as far as that goes. There are new treatments all the time, new, new, new things getting approved by the FDA to, to treat bees, to treat the mites in your bees. There are many pests. That is actually one of the things you learn about in the class. There are, there, you know, varroa mites are the biggest concern, but there are other things that can kill your bees uh, that you would learn about from a course when you took a course. When you take a course, you'll learn about all that stuff and how we deal with it because we deal with it on a regular basis. What is the most rewarding part about beekeeping? I really like the bees. I think the bees are very interesting. I, I like just looking at them. I know that sounds weird, but I really just enjoy watching them, looking at how they, they behave, what they do. I like getting collecting honey and extracting honey. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy going to my meetings with the other beekeepers and talking, talking to them about um, how everything works and teaching people about bees. I, I enjoy, I actually enjoy all of it. Um, I like painting my hives. I, I, I enjoy painting my hives even. There are a lot of really rewarding aspects of beekeeping. Not the least of which is the honey is delicious. <laughs> yeah, the honey is important. Um, I do like honey, but I, I personally find the bees more interesting. I mean, the honey is good, but I really find the bees very interesting myself. I like watching them and making them do well, <laughs> you know, helping, helping them survive. Let's talk about some of the safety issues. And I would assume that the suits are for safety issues for you, so you're not stung. I'm not allergic to bees, and I don't have a very big reaction, but I still find getting stung by bees unpleasant, especially like under my eye or on the back of my head or on, on my ears, There's your ankles. There's some places that it's very unpleasant to get stung by bees. So I wear a veil pretty much no matter what I do. I mean, sometimes in the winter when I'm just, you know, putting a feeder on or something like that, I, I don't worry about it, but I wear a veil because I really do not like getting stung on my face. And I wear a suit most of the time when I'm going out there uh, just because it helps prevent me from getting stung. So the, the important thing about the suit is it's got to be light colors. They're, they like to sting dark stuff. So it's light colors, it's loose and, and baggy. So they, they, they aren't right next to your skin. Um, you want to make sure it's sealed up. I know a beekeeper who didn't have her veil, the top part sealed up properly. And she got bees in her veil and they stung her underneath her veil, which, so you want to be very careful about zipping stuff up oh. and making sure that it's sealed up tight. So the bees can't get in there because most of the time my bees are pretty calm, but there are some times where you make them angry as a beekeeper when you maybe squish one or certain times of the year in later fall, starting about August, actually about now soon, they get grumpy because there's not enough food out there for them. They're much happier when there's food, when they're, when they get low on food, they're not as happy. Um, so they're, they're much more prone to stinging you. Once you've been stung by a bee that the, they give off pheromones that encourage the other bees to sting you too, or, or if you squish them, or if you get stung by oh. them, those are two things that make the bees want to sting you more. So wearing a suit is very important. They're pretty comfortable as long as you don't wear too much clothes underneath them in the summertime. So that's a really important thing is the suit, protective gear, uh, gloves, um, and different. There's many different kinds of gloves you use. You can use different gloves for different things. Basically, goatskin gloves are the ones you use most of the time. That's important. Some people actually are allergic to bees. One of the beekeepers in my club is 
was, I guess, is allergic to these. She developed an allergy from getting stung. And so she went to an allergist and bee stings are something they can actually cure you of. And the allergist told her it's the only one they can really cure you of uh, because they can give you shots that will make you not allergic to bees anymore. She went through the, the cycle. She had a lot of shots initially. Um, and now she just needs a shot every six months. And they said that she probably won't need any more after the next round. Um, and she is fine. She doesn't have that allergic reaction. Uh, beekeepers, another thing we do often, if you have anybody who has any concerns about allergies or neighbors or you know anything like that, um, you get an EpiPen from you can get an EpiPen from your doctor. I don't have one because nobody around me is allergic enough, but there or has any any real allergies, so I don't worry about it. But that's another thing people do. Is some, some beekeepers will have, who have a little bit more of a reaction will have Benadryl on them if they get stung. Honestly, I've only been stung once this year. And it was by my mentees bees, not even by my bees. So, you know, you, you don't get stung a lot if you handle them nicely, if you handle them appropriately. And another thing is you wash your suit because when you do get stung, if you get stung on your suit, that the next time you go out, they're going to be smelling that pheromone and want to sting that area again. So certain things like that, you wear a suit, you wash the suit, you try not to squish them as much as possible. Uh, use smoke. Smoke helps them. Basically, smoke moves them away from the smoke, and it makes them eat some of their honey. And when they're full, they're happy. <laughs> they're interesting animals. That will help also. Like you use smoke appropriately. You don't oversmoke them, but you use a smoke smoke appropriately. It also hides pheromones, so they don't get as angry if they get squished and stuff. If you have some smoke around, so there, there's a lot of things we do to to deal with the stinging of bees. And like I said, we don't have Africanized honeybees in Virginia. Um, if you live in an area where they have Africanized honeybees, beekeeping is an entirely different thing. You need two people in the yard all the time, smoking bees. You, and, and there's a lot of other things related to that, which I personally wouldn't be a beekeeper if I was in an area where there, where there were Africanized honeybees. I wouldn't want to deal with all the extra um, stuff that you have to deal with in those areas. EpiPen. Those bees are so dangerous. Africanized honeybees, what they are, like they were, they were bred in Brazil um, intentionally, but they were accidentally released. Um, and the thing about the Africanized bees is they are just heightened. They are honeybees, but they have heightened aggression. Whereas a normal bee, if you get stung on your hand by a bee, in your, your near other bees, the other bees are going to come and you might have you know, 10 bees come check out your hand and maybe want to sting you. If you have Africanized honeybees, you have 3000 bees checking out your hand and wanting to sting you. And so that's why they're so dangerous is because they have this huge aggressive response. Now with my honeybees, they aren't aggressive. They're calm honeybees. Um, if I have a hive that starts to get a little too grumpy for me, I requeen it and get rid of those grumpy genes. I don't like hives that I can't get into and that are grumpy. And my hives are close to my house. I don't want my children to get stung, my dogs to get stung. So I keep nice, calm bees in my hives. And, and as a beekeeper, you can control that a lot. You requeen and your queen sets the genetics for the whole hive. So bees don't stay in the hive the whole time. There's, they go in and out. Yeah, they're going in and out all the time. Swarming is something else. Swarming is when the old queen flies away 
and takes half of the bees with her. So that's different. That typically happens in the spring if you don't mitigate to prevent that. And there's lots of things. So it's a whole process. But yes, the bees are flying in and out of the hive all the time. There's probably about 40 to 50,000 bees in my hives right now in each of my five hives right now. So there's a lot of bees around. They're flying around looking for pollen, looking for nectar. Uh, they mostly go out into the woods around my area. They're, I see them occasionally around my house here and there. If, if I have something that's particularly attractive, like um, certain, certain flowering trees or shrubs, I'll see them a lot then. Like when my blueberries are, are blooming, I'll see them then on my raspberries, my blackberries and raspberries. Mostly they're going off into the woods and finding stuff out there in the woods. You see them, if you stand out there, you can just watch them in and out, in and out, in and out. But they, they are going off into the woods to, to hunt for nectar. I've seen pictures with people not wearing a suit stick their hands into a hive and mm -hmm. pull out like a a wooden drawer type thing and frame. bees are all around and then the bees just swarm all over the frame and all over these people and they're just smiling and my reaction is are you nuts i just can't imagine somebody doing that bees don't just sting you like you don't it's you're not going to be sitting out in your yard and a bee just comes and sting you a wasp yes a wasp will do that but bees don't just sting you for no reason typically i mean there there's sometimes that you know there's always a chance but normally they just leave you alone i, I have bees out on my clover right now and i as long as i don't step on them i'm not getting stung now when you are going into their hive that's their home they have resources to protect there and you are invading so that is the time that you are most likely to be stung but even then if you're very careful if you don't squish them if it's not storming outside they, there's certain times that they get grumpy like if i go out and it's sunny nice day they've got food because the nectar flow is on and i'm careful i could go through a hive you know, in shorts with bare hands. I generally don't do that because it's just easier for me to be suited up and not worry about getting stung or getting pushing one accidentally and making them mad. So a lot of times when you see that it's certain times, certain bees, a lot of times it's a swarm that someone is messing with. Now, if that it, what you're talking about, it sounds like they're getting into their hive, but a lot of those videos, it's a person with a swarm that they caught and a swarm has filled its belly up with honey so much before they fly away. Cause that's remember the older queen flies away and takes the bees with her. When they do that, they just take as much as they can with them. And so they are full of honey. Sometimes they're so full initially anyway, that they couldn't sting you if they wanted to, because they couldn't move their abdomens down enough to sting you because <laughs> they're full. Yeah. So if you find a swarm and it's just landed, you're, they're not going to be able to sting you. They're not going to sting you. They're they're, they don't have a home to root to um, protect. So they are, they are very calm. Now, <laughs> if you think that it's a new swarm and it happens to have been there for a week and it hasn't found a home and it got rained on and it's, you know, already been using those resources, it's not going to be as happy a swarm. And so you always have to be careful if you're catching a swarm, you assume, oh, it's a nice swarm. They're going to just, you know, go into the box. I don't have to worry about anything, but you never really know. Unless you saw where it happened and how long it's been there. Some people do actually get into their hives and inspect without worrying about getting stung. Personally, I just prefer to wear protective gear. My philosophy is it's always better to be safe than sorry. So I would wear a suit. I don't like being stung. And 
it just, I really don't like being stung on my face. I, I got stung on my, under my eye once and it was not pleasant and I don't want to repeat that. So <laughs> I just wear at the very least a veil. Um, and if I was going into a hive, you, the gloves, you don't really need gloves. They're not really particularly wanting to sting your hands unless you squish them. Uh, so it, you know, I could see not wearing gloves. Um, there are times where I'll wear the little blue um, Niplex gloves and not, uh, so it's really not protecting you from stinging. It's just kind of, per, you know, it's a little barrier, which they're not attracted to stinging. So as long as it's light, don't wear black gloves because they're going to sting your hands a lot. If you wear dark colors, they will sting you. Um, that's another thing as far as those people you see go, you don't see them wearing a black shirt and black shorts. They're wearing light colors, maybe light colored jeans. Um, there's, there's some definite things that you don't want to wear when you're around your hives and getting into your hives because they are, they are programmed to be uh, attack fuzzy, dark things. So they will go for fuzzy socks, wow. and especially dark colors. I have a black dog and a brown dog. And when I, sometimes when I've gotten into my hives and they're a little grumpy, we, my driveway goes right next to them and I'll be walking the dogs and the, the bees will buzz the dark dog over. I mean, she, they don't sting her, but they kind of like, you know, Hey, we see you. They'll kind of bounce around her a little bit <laughs> because they are attracted to darker colors. They have been, that's, that's part of their programming, their genetic programming. Wow. That's interesting. It's because of the things that normally get into a hive in nature. So that, that's why they have the, you know, like bears and skunks. And the things I learned on this podcast are, are incredible. What haven't we talked about that's important for people to know if they're considering becoming beekeepers? We've talked about protective gear, taking a course, local beekeepers, mentors, money. Those are, those are the main things right there, honestly. The class we offer new people is eight weeks long. So there's a lot of little things to learn about. There's, you know, what species of bees do you want to keep? What are the many types of things, you know, that you would have to worry about? as far as things that can infect your bees and kill your bees, where would you want to keep your bees? You know, you, there's people have pools. One, one thing that comes up a lot in the summer is people have pools and especially saltwater pools. And I have a saltwater pool. Bees are attracted to saltwater pools. And so if your neighbor has bees, you know, how do they keep their bees from bothering your pool? Um, and it comes up a lot on the bee forums because it happens. So there's a couple of things we do like to keep bees out of my pool because they would be attracted to my pool. It's a nice water source and they like the salty water, salty chlorinated water. Um, I have a watering source that I made between my, my beehives and my house. And so they don't come all the way to my pool to get water. They just go to that watering source. I provided a, a nice source that they are happy with and they go there. You can, you can go and watch the source and you'll see them just coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And that helped them not be searching for resources at my house. And, and that's actually really important. If you have neighbors and most of us do, you don't want your bees to be a problem for your neighbors. So there's a lot of things we do to prevent them from doing that. And a couple of things are the water source. Another thing is if you point the hives, the openings of the hives towards things like a shrub, if you lived in a small yard, I have a big field, but if you had a small yard, you put like a shrub near the opening of your hive and, or, you know, you put the hives near the a shrub. And so the bees won't fly out, they fly up. 
and they'll fly up to the tops of the trees and they go over everybody's houses and just go off into the woods. And so that's another thing to help prevent them from just constantly going into your neighbor's yard or your yard. You don't want them constantly in your yard either. As a beekeeper, you make sure that they have food. If it gets to be where they need food, you feed them sugar water, just sugar and water. It's pretty simple mixture. <laughs> just uh, feed them sugar water if they need it. Um, a lot of times I don't have to feed my bees uh, a little bit here and there. And then mostly I'll feed them in like October just to make sure that they, and maybe September to make sure that they have a good amount of, of honey going into the winter. Um, but if there's a problem, I watch and I look and I, I give them what they need. I give them sugar water when they need it. Right now I have one hive that I'm feeding and I have four hives that I'm not. So it just depends. You have to manage it just like anything else. That's fascinating. I think about, I feed my, my hummingbirds. I make a, a sugar water solution and I put it in the, in the containers. And it's so much fun to watch these birds come up to these feeders and you can hear them hum and, <laughs> and fight I, each I other off. Enjoy that. <laughs> yes. And they fight each other off. <laughs> well, and that's, they, 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 they fly through our porch. Like they're chasing each other. Like little rambunctious kids <laughs> yes. just get a chuckle out of that. Well, and that's another thing actually with bees that sometimes people have a problem with is hummingbird feeders. So some they have different designs. Um, most of them are, are pretty good to keep your bees out, but some of them have too close an opening where the bees can, the proboscis of a bee is only a few millimeters long. So it doesn't have to be very long, but a hummingbird has a much longer beak. You need a, a, a hole that's a little bit longer so they can't just like, they, they, they need to get their proboscis down there. And uh, that's like their little tongue, basically. You don't want them to get that into your hummingbird feeder. So most of them are designed in a way that there's a big space. And so your, humming, your, hum, your honeybees are not a problem. Uh, but some designs of hummingbird feeders are the are where the bees can get in there and bees will swarm them. And then your hummingbirds, you know, can't even get in there because you'll if, if you have sugar during the dirt, sugar water, you will see bees there if they can get to it. So that that's also a really important thing is, you know, you, you want to have the right kind of hummingbird feeder so that the bees aren't all obnoxious. Um, and again, preventing the bees from going to your neighbor's house. This is usually a problem that your neighbors might have. You know, you have, they have a hummingbird feeder out. It's the wrong kind. And your bees are going and bugging your neighbor's hummingbird feeder. And, you know, we want to keep our neighbors happy. So uh, a couple of things are the get, a, get the right kind of hummingbird feeder. And then again, water source between your bees and their hummingbird feeder. And they won't go over there as much. The water source is a big thing to keep them away from other people's areas. Because they'll go, they'll look for water and sugar water wherever they can. Is there a, a minimum age where you would recommend a, a child become involved with beekeeping? I would not recommend beekeeping for preschool aged children or even really, I would say young elementary. I would say no earlier than probably second grade. I mean, some people have their young kids out there just to kind of like in suits, um, just to kind of see what they're doing for a little while. But little children lose interest very quickly. And there is actually work you have to do when you're in your hives. So, you know, you could take a younger child out there just for a little bit to show them what's going on, but you wouldn't want them out there when you were doing the work. Um, but just to show them and get them interested in, you could have them at, at really, you know, any age, as long as they're suited up and not going to be grabbing at things when they shouldn't. 
but I would recommend like actually having a child help would be, you know, second, third, fourth grade minimum when they're a little more interested in, in doing stuff and they're more capable of, of helping. I would say that would be a good age. The younger kids, like the, I'd say a fourth grader would probably be more interested in it than a lot of older teens. As a teacher, I have, I have lots of students that are very interested in beekeeping as, you know, 17 and 18 year old students, they're very interested in it. And then some don't care at all and have no interest. So it really depends on the child. (laughs) I was wondering if you ever used beekeeping in your chemistry classes. Or I teach genetics too. I probably talk about it more in genetics than I do in chemistry. But but yes, I I do tell my my students about it. And in my club, we um, we have lots of members who are grandparents and their grandchildren help them with stuff as they get older, really like sixth grade, they can be out there doing all sorts of things. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, You know, when they're a little younger, I'm sure they're not as helpful. They're kind of just tagging along and playing and maybe helping with the bees a little bit here and there, just as long as you have them, the kids set up so that they're not going to get stung. It doesn't really matter. And you can watch them too. You don't want them just doing whatever. Um, You want to make sure you can keep an eye on them. And if you're in your hive, you know, and it's a young child, you really can't keep a good eye on them. So I wouldn't recommend having young children out there just kind of unsupervised for very long. Anyway, we have members that have lot whole families work together. My husband happens to have a big reaction to stings. So he's not really interested in doing too much. He helps me build stuff, but he doesn't want to actually get into the bees. We have lots of members of our, my club where, you know, the wife, the husband, the kid, everybody get in there and do some have their own hives, some have multiple yards where they have bees kept and they, you know, just, they help each other with all sorts of things. Do your children, are they involved with us? No, <laughs> my kids are not. They, uh, they don't help me much at all. They're, they're not that interested. I guess I started at a bad age with them. They just, they, Evelyn was interested a little bit initially, but then she doesn't even, no, they don't, they, they will do a little bit. If I ask them to bring me stuff, they'll do that. So they're not a great example of, of the ways that families work together as beekeepers, but let's talk about when you actually work inside, like what's involved with putting the honey in jars. I mean, I would think that's a rather tedious job. It is. It, uh, collecting the honey is, is its own job. You have to go out there and look in the hive. Um, at the beginning of the season, once they, you know, like really April, the very beginning of April around here anyway, you put supers on what we call supers. And these are boxes where they're going to build you honey with frames for your honey. Um, they have their normal hive down below and then they can expand up and just store stuff. And in a super, um, if you have comb that's already built, they will fill it up so fast and you'll have a lot of honey. If they have to start from scratch where it's just bare foundation, they have to build all that comb and then put honey into it. Um, And the rule is eight pounds of honey equals one pound of wax. So they, they have a lot of building to do. But once you have that wax, you can get a lot more honey. And so that's why in the last couple of years, I've gotten more honey because I've already got some wax stored uh, that I can use to begin with. So you put the box on there, they fill it up with honey. You've got to make sure that it's mostly capped, which means sealed up. So they, they bring the nectar in, they dry it out and they seal it up with wax. 
you put the supers on and you let the bees, they fill up the honey and you're, you have your capped honey. You need to make sure that it's capped or at least mostly capped. And there's a tool you can use to test the water content because if it has too much water, there will be fermentation and you don't want that to happen. So when it's capped all the way, it's, it's got the right amount of water and, and so you're good. Um, but you can actually pull frames that aren't all the way capped, but you have to test them and make sure that the, the honey has the right water content. So then you bring the, the honey boxes, you pull the honey boxes off, and there are lots of different ways to do that. Um, I use something called a fume board, where you take this, uh, it's, a, it's a top basically with some like foam stuff, and you spray, I spray BB Gone on it, which is, uh, it smells like almonds and they don't like it. So you spray it with BB Gone, you put it on top of your hive, and the bees, bees move out of the super down into the hive. And so your super is pretty much bee-less, which is why you don't want a bunch of bees coming with you. So that's the easiest way I find to get the bees out of the supers when I'm ready to collect the honey. So I do that. And then you bring your super back to your house where or wherever your extractor is. And you have a lot of things you have to do. So you take the frame of honey and you have to cut off those, the, the cappings. And there's different ways to do that. People use hot knives. People use, which basically melt, melt and cut at the same time. They have regular knives, they have scrapers. There's all different ways to do that. And then you put your frames into an extractor and extract, extractor spins the frames. So it spins the honey out and it leaves behind the wax. Not everybody has an extractor. I do because I got one at a good price and it's just so much easier than doing other things. Um, but if you don't have an extractor, my club actually has a club extractor that the club men members can borrow. Or we also do a, an annual day where everybody just brings their honey in and we extract that person's honey and they take it and we extract that person's honey and they take it. This, we just did that at the end of June for my club and we probably collected about 50 gallons of honey, uh, about 10 different beekeepers or so, just something like that. Um, some had a lot, some had a little, uh, but we were able to just go through everybody. Everybody helps, pitches in. It's, it's messy because there's honey gets, honey gets everywhere, but we do that. Um, or people, if you have a whole lot of honey, like people with larger quantities don't usually come to that because they just have so much. They'll just borrow the extractor and take it home and use it and then bring it back. So that's one thing. Some people just take their comb and crush it. That's another thing you can do. You can crush it and... Uh, the disadvantage to that is you don't save the wax. If you have the wax saved for next year, you're going to get more honey next year. If you crush it, they'd have to do all that work again the next year. So I prefer the extraction method. So then you filter. It's not really filtering. You screen it, I should say, because we consider it unfiltered. You screen it through um, a, a sieve, basically, that will, does, it keeps all the big chunks of wax and stuff out of the, the honey. So you, you um, run it through that and just basically it takes the big chunks out. There'll still be little teeny chunks of wax in there, but the big chunks will stay in the top and you can save that. And then so you have the wax that you do something else with later. So now you have this screened honey and it's ready to go. It's, you don't have to do anything to it. You don't, you don't want to heat it up or uh, do anything at that point. You just, it's ready to go. Honey is ready to go straight out of the hive. 
so at that point you can, I usually will let mine settle. I'll put it into big glass uh, half gallon jars and let it settle where the little wax pieces that are in there, I let them float to the top. And then I scrape them off because I think that they're unappealing to see if someone opens honey jars and they see this white crud at the top, even though it's just wax, they might not know that. So I like to take that off. And then, so I let them sit for however long, a couple of days at least. And then honestly, it would be just be overnight would be fine. I just, you know, do it when time works for me. Uh, and then you pour it, pour it into bottles for the bottling. There's all different kinds of bottles you have to choose. Um, I use some plastic and some glass jars. It just depends. Uh, those have to be sanitized first. So you sanitize those. They have to be completely dry. If there's any water, you don't want any water mixed with your honey. So they ha you have to sanitize and completely dry them. And then you can just pour the honey in and seal them up. Uh, most of them come with some sort of seal on them that sticks to the top of the jar, basically. Um, if you're using mason jars, that doesn't happen. So they have um, they have little plastic or little labels that you can use that will um, seal it so that people can tell if it's been opened. So there, there are still some things that there's some specific honey, honey labeling laws in every state. And so certain things have to be on the label. So that's another thing you have to make sure that you are complying with the law and you put the appropriate things on the label um, according to your state laws. Um, and that's about it. And then you can, you can sell it. Um, again, it's really important not to overheat. It's like, um, not to heat at all. We don't heat honey at all. It's not like when you're canning food and you heat it up and can it. It's not like that. You just put it into a sanitary container. Honey is um, naturally antibacterial. And if it has the right water content, it won't ferment. It has stuff in there. It has some, um, pollen and some microorganisms, but it's, it's supposed to have that in there. So that's part of what makes it part of what people like about it. A lot of people take cow. honey, eat honey for allergies. Um, I don't have allergies, so I don't know. I, I've heard from so many people that it helps them a lot. Uh, so in that case, if you are taking, if you are consuming hum, honey, like daily, those people who do that, they consume it daily. Uh, you would definitely want local honey because local honey is going to have the, the allergens that are out there from the plants are going to be in that honey. And so you would want to be exposed to that so that you build up a resistance is the reason why people do that. I don't know how much evidence there is for that specifically, but that's, that's typically what people are, are doing. Um, I have, I've heard from a lot of people that it's helpful, but I don't know scientifically if it's been proven that actually helps people's allergies or not. I've always heard that, but I didn't, I didn't really understand why. It's the it stuff be. that's in there. So you're getting exposed to the pollens from like, say you're allergic to maple, maple pollen. Well, you get a little bit of pollen, just a little bit, not to trigger an allergy, but to kind of help you not be as sensitive to maple pollen in the future. That's, that's the premise of that anyway. Well, Kobe, thank you. This has been an interesting conversation. I have learned a lot and I hope you have inspired at least one grandparent to get involved with beekeeping and make it a family affair. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.